0: This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth. This was my sermon from November twenty eighth, twenty twenty one. I hope you enjoy, and God bless. My scripture this morning is taken from the Hebrew Bible, Jeremiah chapter thirty three, verses fourteen through sixteen. If you'd like to follow along, as I read aloud, it is found in your pew Bibles, I believe, on page 699. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety, and this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Or as it would say in Hebrew, Yehovah Zekednu. The Lord who is our righteousness. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. Jeremiah is is one of those interesting passages of Scripture. We tend to forget that at some point in the middle of Jeremiah that he was incarcerated. I say that in the sense that he and Israel had become enslaved yet once again. And at the very beginning of his journey, we always use him in the stories of church camp. I remember some of the very early memories of church camp that we always use Jeremiah because Jeremiah was called to be a prophet for the people of Israel as a child. And his words were to shape and move and motivate Israel into a different place. And So we use him a lot. My favorite part about Jeremiah is when we talk about it, we always say that God and he have an argument. God says to Jeremiah, you're going to be the prophet of Israel. And Jeremiah looks to him and says, God, you know, I, I can't do that because I'm a child. No one's going to listen to me. And God very quickly corrects him and says, I will give you the words and they will hear it. They still won't listen to me. And they have this little dialogue back and forth. But by the time we get to 33, Jeremiah is in his full understanding that God truly did give him the words to speak. Why am I making such a big deal about his incarceration? Well, for us, we also have an interesting tie to Paul. Paul, in most of his letters, was imprisoned. And as he's writing these letters, he continues to say the same thing. And in one point, he kind of even makes an allusion to the writing of in Jeremiah chapter 33. When he calls Jesus, the Lord is our righteousness. This little book of consolation, as some people call this chapter, is a section of the oracle focusing in on the specific promise that God makes to David, which appears in 2 Samuel. I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. We talked about this last week. And Jeremiah is prophetically announcing the fulfillment of this promise. Although it's a thought... There's no event. He's telling them that it's going to happen down the road. It's going to be tomorrow. God will give us a savior, a Mashiach, that will lift us out of this place. A righteous leader, he says, that will inevitably emerge, who will execute justice and righteousness, so much so that they will even call him Jehovah Zekegnu, the one that God will send, the ruler God will send to righteously in the place of Jerusalem. Hmm. I don't think we understand this very well. I don't think we understand promises at all. When I was being brought up, the phrase, my word is my bond, mattered. What I mean by that is is that you didn't make a promise that you didn't plan to to keep. It's not simple like, I promise mom, dad, I will clean my bedroom and then quickly forget all about it. When you would say as an adult to another adult, I promise I will do this, it means that no matter what happens, no how hard it is, You will do your best to fulfill that promise. God doesn't make those types of promises. You see, God makes promises that God never breaks. He does this in the conversation that he has with Abraham. I will make your nation so many that there will be stars in the sky and the sands of the sea you just wait it'll be amazing he delivers them over and over and over again and the story throughout the entire hebrew bible is is not how god has failed them it's how we forget the promise in the midst of our own failure i'm reminded of a story that i was told one time about a farmer the farmer knows that he has to build a fence And he's going to start building this fence, and he promises his wife, I'm I'm going to get this done. And he starts building the fence, and she says, When do you think you might get it done? Well, I'm going to get it done by Wednesday. So they start building the fence. Wednesday comes, and the fence is not done. Not for a lack of trying, you see. Then she says, Well, when do you think you might get it done? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try my best to get it done by Friday. Friday comes, the fence is still not built, finished. You see, the problem with promises is that we put a sense of time on it where God doesn't think that way. I mean, let's not forget the fact of when you're building these fences that obstacles come in your way. Not everybody has the ability to have an auger. Right? Remember those days before the time of the auger? And we had to do it with post hole diggers? And your bleeding, blistered, calloused hands are yet going against the ground, yet once again trying to get to the right level. And as soon as you get so far down, you run into a rock with these God-awful torture devices. You still have to build the fence. It causes an obstacle in your way. And you continue to keep building it, and another obstacle comes in the way, and another one, and another one. It's not that the, the promise has changed. It's the idea of timing. God's time is eternal. Our time is Wednesday, Friday, next week. See, Jeremiah is looking at it in a sense of, he's not looking at it as temporal time. He's looking at it in a sense of saying, guys, if we could just rally around just one more time, Yehovah Tzikhenu will be here. This is going to happen, I promise. But you see, it's not even just that. As they're being incarcerated, everything that they know is gone. They can't have business. There's no... Economics that are happening. There's no place of worship. Everything that they know has been stripped away from them. Does this sound familiar? He keeps saying this to them. Jeremiah is saying this to them and saying, I promise that the most human and intimate and celebratory rituals of life, both personal and our own religion and tradition will come back. We'll be able to do weddings again. We'll be able to worship in person again. We will be able to have our offerings, I promise. Human beings want it to happen tomorrow. He's looking at it as we know what it was like before, and here we are in the wilderness. We know that something beautiful will come after this time. I mean, how many times have you thought about, I promise I'll do this? It causes a lot of problems when humans make promises to each other because inevitably, one of them, we're going to fail. We're going to mess up. and We're not going to be able to fulfill all the promises that we make. We're going to try our hardest, but at the end of the day, you're still human, and sometimes our human obstacles keep us from doing those things. I think it's a beautiful passage of scripture as we look in at the, and look at this in a sense of I Jeremiah claiming to the people, I haven't forgotten my promise, O oh God. I was scared. I did what you asked me to do even at the very beginning of my life when I was not uh, sure that I would have the right words. I had to get through this moment in order to understand the promise that I made to you, O God. It reminds me of that that old movie. Some of you are... (laughs) It kind of freaks me out, but... he kind of freaks me out that it's considered an old movie now, but The Bodyguard, right? Besides the racy moments in the movie, Kevin Costner makes a promise that he will keep her safe and alive through the entire movie. That's his mission in life. And he had done it for many others. And he gets to the end of the movie, and, he is, and the scene ends with him waving at the person that he saved And made sure that she was safe, as now he is protecting someone else. That's where we find ourselves today. It becomes our moment. As we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ, we celebrate all the promises that have come through that. Our sins have been forgiven. We use this language loosely, you see. That's why I say we don't necessarily understand promises our sins have been forgiven well that's a huge thing let's not forget the fact that Jesus comes in the form of a child and then all the pain and suffering of the world rest upon that infants shoulders Jesus does this different than Jeremiah he goes into this full-on never questioning never Faltering, moments of humanity, of course, but never, ever broke his promise. And then we're left with the pieces. Well, how do I do that, you say? How can I be like Jesus? Well, you have to first take the first step. Like Jeremiah, you might have to have a dialogue with God. God, I don't, I don't really think this is a good idea. Well, don't worry, I'll put the words in your mouth. Oh, God, I, I don't really think this is really where I need to be going. It's okay. I'll guide you along your path. You see, I love Advent. I love everything about it because it's the moment of preparation. You see, you've spent the entire year preparing for this moment. I always go backwards. I look at it as, as that once we know that Jesus has been born and he's been the... the The wise people have come to see him and all that stuff. Then the work begins. Now we're in the celebration moment. Here you are, you get to do all kinds of stuff. We get to do the live nativity. We have the Jesus's birthday party. We have parties. We do all kinds of fun stuff together. Why? Because we're preparing ourselves for the coming of our savior. Because God promised it over and over and over again. we've seen it. We've lived it. We feel the presence of God in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we've seen Jesus go from one person to the other, and their lives are changed. So it makes sense for us to remember and to say publicly When I professed my faith in Jesus Christ and accepted him as my Lord and Savior, that meant that I made my own promise to fall in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. And wherever I take Ruach, wherever my breath goes, I do the will of God in the name of that Savior. Glory be to God in the highest, and peace on earth and goodwill to all of humankind. Amen.